We're launching a brand new newsletter. 11FS Unfiltered is a fortnightly installment of hard-hitting opinions on all things financial services. Every fortnight, a brutally honest, no-holds-barred take on a hand-picked topic from one of our experts will make its way to your inbox. To hear from some of the brightest minds at 11FS and join the conversation, head to bit.ly forward slash unfiltered newsletter now. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and in today's episode we're going to be talking about outsourcing in financial services. Between BAS and SaaS, cloud and core banking, it seems every company is involved in outsourcing in some way right now. And in this episode we're going to be lifting the lid on how outsourcing works in the banking ecosystem from an integration, risk, compliance, and many other standpoints as well. We're going to be exploring the opportunities, the challenges, and everything in the mix there as well. So to help us dive into this topic, I'm joined by some super awesome guests. Making her FinTech Insider debut, we have Leitha Katam, who is the Group Transformation Officer at Deutsche Bank. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Thanks, David. No problem. I mean, probably Deutsche Bank doesn't need too much of an explanation, but for, for anybody who uh, doesn't know Deutsche Bank, do you want to give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, I think Deutsche Bank is, um, has been around, for, like you said, I don't think it needs introduction particularly, but um, we're a, a major investment bank. We are you know, a German bank predominantly, but we're a global bank more so. But we have presence across all sorts of areas of banking in terms of investment banking, retail, commercial. Yeah, I think we're spread across more than um, 50 countries globally. Very good. And I know your role particularly is uh, very relevant to this topic. So we'll uh, be coming back to you uh, a lot as well. Uh, and also joining for the first time, we have Andreas Wolf, who is the Chief Operating Officer and Head of Banking at Raisin Bank. Thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing this week? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty, I like I can't complain, you know, like I've no idea what day it is in lockdown still, but to like uh, other than that, it's uh, things are going well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Raisin for anybody who doesn't know? Yeah, um, I actually have two hats on. Let me quickly describe both. Raisin is a fintech. It's a wealth platform. So we allow customers through eight platforms all across the world, predominantly Europe and US though, to invest into savings products, investment products, pension products, essentially removing all the barriers that customer face from investing only with your home bank through uh, to investing international into the best products and interest rates, for instance, there are. Raisin Bank is a daughter of Raisin. Um, we are a bus provider. Uh, banking as a service or fronting bank. There's many names out there. So we essentially cooperate with financial platforms and other platforms to allow them to build business models that typically include parts which are regulated. And as they don't have a license, but we are fully licensed, we basically bridge that at certain parts to their value chain. Very good. Uh, very close to the topic at hand today as well. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. And last, but by no means least, we have Joanne Dewar, who is the CEO over at GPS. Joanne, I lose count of how many times you've been on now. It's got to be at least five. So uh, you're definitely no stranger to us or stranger to the show. But uh, for everybody uh, just who might not have heard about GPS at this stage, do you want to give a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, sure. Thanks, David. Uh, delighted to be back. And yes, this uh, topic of outsourcing is a core part of what we do. And I think over the last year, you've actually had more than 25 of our customers on the breakfast show through last year. We are the tech behind the tech. So we are the outsourced 
technology provider providing issuer processing services to uh, to fintechs, challenger banks, and e-wallet providers. Very good. Um, all right. So I guess to start this, what would be really good to do, and you talk about outsourcing there, Joanne, actually, maybe sort of defining what we mean by outsourcing, because I mean, in this space, you know, partnerships and outsourcing gets thrown around. But what do we mean? How do we define that sort of outsourcing? Uh, does anybody want to kind of have a stab at that to start with? I'm happy to give a go. And I think the short answer is that there's there's no clear definition. Uh, certainly, you know, while I was talking to the team uh, in the run up to this, we talk about actually having proper partnership uh, relationships with, with our customers. It's about a lot more than just providing a service. There's all sorts of sort of collab in the the definition, the creation of the ideas, and then the sort of the ongoing uh, supporting the long-term relationship. Interestingly, we we actually have two different relationships in the same service offering um, because for many fintech propositions, particularly in the prepaid world where it's not for regulated entities, there's a separate uh, bin sponsor, a separate issuing bank uh, involved. So we have the contractual relationship uh, with the, the customer who is uh, who is paying us, but then we have an overarching issuer uh, relationship where we are the third-party outsource provider, technology provider to the issuing bank. So it's two different contractual relationships for the same service. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? And, and as you say, there's, uh, I mean, I, I felt like I was saying you up slightly there, but because there is no answer to that, because <laughs> like you say, there is, there's such a broad spectrum here of in terms of what outsourcing could mean. Uh, and obviously, I mean, the FCA and other regulators around the planet have different sort of views around, you know, what is deemed material outsourcing and what is deemed more uh, sort of business operations outsourcing. But Andreas, I guess from your perspective, as uh, just to sort of bring you into this, where you were talking about the the sort of BAS offerings, if we were to sort of look at a, a layers of stack from a bank perspective, you're operating at various different levels in that stack, aren't you? Anything yeah. from the regulatory side of things to technology as well. So to give you an idea, we have more than 100 outsourcing relationships, even though we are a fairly small bank. And we are both outsourcing partners, or we are contracting uh, services, but we are also outsourcing ourselves uh, to others. So it works in all uh, directions. I see three main use cases in our sphere um, for outsourcing. The obvious one, of course, is economies of scale. So I say, okay, you know, there's somebody like infrastructure providers, call centers, whatever, um, who can do it you know, more reliably or, or cheaper than I can. But we also see outsourcing in the regulated space. So for many of our partners don't have a license. As I said, they don't have a banking license. So they have no choice but, you know, for, for payments or for granting a loan, they need somebody with a license. So they outsource that part of their value chain to us. But there are also highly specialized areas where you just cannot find enough talent, for instance, regulatory reporting. So banks start, you know, to outsource this part of their value chain to others who can gather these talents and then provide that service to many other banks. So as Jane already said, there's a whole universe of types of services that banks use and it's getting more and more specialized. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? The sort of breaking down of all of the different silos of what financial services is. You know, we very specifically said financial services at the top of the show, rather than purely just banking, because, you know, all of these different slices of what makes up those services actually 
I think it comes back to almost like a existential crisis from a big bank perspective of what do they really need to be good at and what do they not need to be good at? Because, I mean, we've seen great examples, I think, across the globe of people go, look, I'm not sure we're the best person. I think NAB in Australia and you know various other places, but I'm not sure we really want to be the best at this. And actually, if we outsource it to somebody who can get it under control and make sure that the operating rhythm, the operating cost of these things is effective, and then if we want to insource that, there's various different models that are open to working in this market. I think it comes down to there's just better options now than ever before. What do you think, Leitha? How do you think this is really sort of playing out in this space. And, uh, you know, on your perspective in terms of Deutsche Bank, then this is something that you guys have been working with in various different guises. Yeah, I think outsourcing is continuously evolving. Like if you look at it like 20 years back or, you know, 15 years back as well, a lot of banks were actually developing in-house most of the time. But I think over the period of time, now we're trying to, you know, we, we have plenty of options on the table. And and, and I think it's, it's uh, banks are now looking at, because we're not, we know we're not good at everything. You know, we, we know what our strengths are. We know what our, our core expertise is. So having said that, we want to, you know, look at, you know, where we can actually get leverage from, whether it is just sometimes just resources purely where, you know, we, we, we won't be able to assign, let's say, a set of resources to a particular project. We just want to go out and uh, outsource that particular piece of work. Or, or it could be uh, capabilities that we genuinely don't want to invest in-house as well, you know, because it's, it's not probably our strengths and we don't want to spend more time or sometimes it's more short term as well. It's a duration as well that we're looking at. So those are the areas I think that that define from a financial service, especially from a banking point of view, uh, in terms of how we want to do the outsourcing. But it's definitely, uh, as we're progressing, I think, as I said, it's evolving. And I think it's continuing to evolve in a direction that I think we have more and more options coming onto our table at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head there about the uh, it's big organizations and small organizations going, look, we're not the best at this thing, but actually there's a plethora of options now that are out there. I guess when we sort of roll that back, you know, we've seen the advent of cloud technology probably as like something that is so dramatically spurred this where, you know, big organizations were used to, you know, 20 years ago having data centers in their own estate and managing full stacks of technology. But actually, as we've moved forwards and the the new ways in which, uh, you know, digital has kind of created opportunities in that space, as we talked about, every layer, a, a sort of horizontal layer in that stack is now up for grabs, which is the ability to drive cost efficiencies. And, you know, Andreas, Leda, Joanne, you know, the opportunities for all of your companies are exponentially bigger than they ever were before, aren't they? Joanne, just to kind of touch on that from your perspective, then, I mean, the amount of opportunities that come with this now because of the ways in which organizations can integrate your solutions and work with you, I mean, that's opened up the business so much, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's opened up both in the types of organization we work with, but also geography as well. So genuinely, every bank's looking to digitize at the same time as fintechs are trying to get going in every single country and everyone's trying to do the same thing. And, uh, you know, there's not that many. So, you know, it, it's so hard to actually make uh, this evolution in-house that outsourcing makes makes an absolute ton of sense. And I think, you know, that comes down to three key reasons. You've got the cost of operation and, and the cost of, you know, the need to have that continual compliance. 
um, is the expertise that comes in. You know, we we offer one core thing, and so we have to be actually brilliant at that one thing. And if there is any issue with that one thing, you know, we can resolve it in minutes because every minute counts. Whereas if that's just part of some sort of monolithic offering within a a bank, then you know, there's not the same expertise to be able to turn around. Uh, sort of in the moments of crisis. And then thirdly, you know, we have to stay uh, current. We have to have the agility to continue to evolve our own platform, which means that for each of the customers that we're servicing, that sort of content and that offering is continually upgrading. Um, and I think all of those make a, a massive difference when it's coming in from outside. I agree. I think I think that, as you say, it's a uh, holding those partners who are, critical infrastructure for you to create the opportunity for your customers. The expectation, as you say, is that these things aren't, uh, you don't buy something and it stands still. You buy something that actually is continually evolving and shaping and and getting better in the space. I mean, uh, Andreas, on the, the BAS side of things, this isn't just an opportunity for other banks. I guess when, and, and Joanne, from your perspective as well, like fintech has sort of exploded the horizon of what financial services is really. So, I mean, Andreas, on the BAS side of things, you must be having conversations with people. I mean, I know we are at 11FS. The people who want to get into financial services, I wouldn't even have dreamed to get into financial services three, four, five years ago. But now BAS and that opening up of those silos means, I mean, anybody can get into FS pretty quickly, can't they? Um, well, um, not as quickly as I sometimes think. So sometimes I get calls and say, like, can we start next month? And then I probably have to tell them, <laughs> well, maybe if we talk about three to six months, that's doable. But one month is just, you know, um, a bit too short. Um, but you, you're exactly right, especially in the fintech space. I mean, fintech per, as a definition uh, means disruption of the value chain. But for a single provider, it doesn't mean a disruption of the whole value chain. But you basically find your niche. You're good at one thing usually you're good at customer acquisition you're good at risk scoring you're good at something and that you want to bring to the table yet of course the customer still needs to get the rest of the value chain delivered so and somebody has to do that and as was said before right you're not the best to offer everything you're certainly not the best to host it you may be not the best you know to open accounts do payments but payments needs to be integrated as you know the flow uh, the customer needs to go through and uh, not only because it's regulated and you need a certain type of license to be a Target 2 member or, and so on, you still want to have a holistic offer, yet focus in your niche of expertise and the rest can be brought together. And of course, that's a dream constellation for a banking as a service provider because we have tons of fintechs basically running into our door and you know trying to find a model to work uh, together with us. I can imagine, yeah. I mean, uh, how, how has this period of time sort of affected it? Uh, and I mean, with everything that's been happening from a, a global pandemic perspective, we've seen almost people make decisions and accelerate the the changes that they were doing from a transformational perspective quicker than ever before. I mean, Joanne, have you seen a, a sort of an acceleration in this type of partnership outsourcing arrangement? Or, I mean, I know there's, uh, from, from chatting to you, there's, there's no shortage of people sort of drumming up at your door for uh, to talk to you. But, I mean, is this a, a period of acceleration, do you think, in the financial services outsourcing space? Or, or do you think it's slowing down? 
Yeah, no, I think it's accelerating. And you keep thinking, well, it can't accelerate any faster than it is already. And, and then suddenly it does. And I think it, it's genuine that there's so many, as you say, all sorts of different brands who were then thinking, hang on a sec, I've got this, I've got this app, I've got this customer base, I've got this stored value that's been created through loyalty or whatever. And now I want to be able to turn that into something from a financial services perspective. And that seems to be happening just genuinely across the board. And then on the opposite side of that, you know, with the banks having sort of operated without footfall for most of the last, you know, 11 months, you know, I think there's an acceleration of the thinking of, okay, we've got to reimagine what Bank of the Future looks like. Yeah, it is fascinating, isn't it? I was chatting to uh, Nick Ogden earlier on today, and he said he wonders if materially, because many senior bankers are sat at home now experiencing some of the fragility in the systems that they've got to really operate, whether we will see a really significant acceleration in that space from an, you know base level you know fabric of the industry sort of investment side of things, which I really can see as, uh, see as getting to. Um, we're going to have to take a little bit of a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors, but we'll be back with you very shortly. This episode is brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They are reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first-name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility while your employees get cloud-based, core-connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. This episode is also brought to you by MyTech. Digital identity verification trusted the world over. Secure more high-value customers while reducing risk and costs with MyTech, a global leader and enterprise partner in identity verification technology. Create certainty in today's digital world with MyTech. All right, uh, on with the show. So um, next up, I mean, if we talk a little bit about the risk that's involved in this, because I I think like, Andreas, you, you talk a good game, my friend. This sounds great. But like, where does the risk really lie in this this system? Is this, are you taking on liability and risk on the behalf of your customers who can then provide services to their customers? Where does that sort of liability piece sort of sit within this? And actually, I mean, when we look at the European market, as opposed to the uh, the US market, the US market, I think for, as you refer to sort of the bank as a service, outsourcing uh, plays around that has developed a very specific type of ecosystem to almost counterbalance the inertia that we've sort of seen within the the regulatory space. But ha- how are you guys kind of thinking about risk in this model, Andreas? I think there's one important uh, myth um, to bust with. Um, when you outsource, you're not outsourcing responsibility. And I think that's pretty clear if you look into the regulation around outsourcing, EBA guidelines, various local regulations, you basically outsource the hands, but you don't outsource the head. So that means you need to be fully in charge. You need to be fully in control um, of everything that somebody else is doing. So while, of course, economies of scale sound nice, but it's way harder to control the value chain if it happens outside your own floors, um, but somewhere else. And I think that's the biggest challenge around outsourcing. How do you control what is happening, especially as you're usually not outsourcing to somebody, but you know, this somebody has outsourcing relationships again and again, and you need to be able to control each and every step in that value chain. That's the big challenge. And I think that's what many players um, are struggling with, be it fintech, 
um, players who like to reinvent everything, but you know are not aware of the regulatory implications of that, or be the big players who outsource massive amounts of work to really know what is happening there. Yeah, well, what do you think on that, Leda? Because um, I mean, the the bigger the organization, more material the the risk is when you're going through these types of outsourcing agreements. So as, exactly as Andreas was saying. Tiny little fintech, like little amounts of risk, you know, big organization, there's there's bigger risks that are involved in these types of arrangements. So, I mean, how have you guys kind of thought through some of those things to give yourself the, the confidence to embark on these types of outsourcing arrangements? Yeah, I think uh, for, for our, from our point of view, right, obviously the material impact uh, of these risks is, is quite high as the, you know, uh, especially because the, the exposure that we have in terms of the engagements with vendors is massive as well. But I think it's it's everything that we do has a, a portion of risk involved. You know, we do have a division on a, a third party, uh, you know, that takes care of the third party vendor management. And this kind of comes under non-financial risk portfolio. And and, and there is the, a set of uh, uh, risk management processes and controls that we, we have have in place. But at the same time, um, we also are making sure that we keep the core expertise, the core essentials inside the bank, you know, the strategic piece. Anything that is non-core or or non-essential items is what we, you know, kind of tend to outsource uh, externally. But I think from a risk perspective, you know, everything that we have internally as well is is, is quite heavily risk-oriented as well. So making sure that there is, you know, processes, there are controls, there is a significant governance that actually goes through internal as well. Every time we get a new vendor on board, sometimes people may call it quite bureaucratic, but there is heavy, you know, processes that are involved to make sure that we vet that vendor inside out to the best of our knowledge and then bring them on board. And then we, and and then we don't just leave it at that, right? The business, the the procurement team and the third party risk management team, we kind of work together to make sure that there are continuous reviews, assessments, and it's a continuous process. It it, it just doesn't stop at, at an engagement or at an offboarding or at a you know at a particular stage i think we want to make sure that it's a partnership you know though you're outsourcing something a partnership is absolutely essential to make sure that the vendors understand where we're heading what our challenges are so they, they understand what our expectations are as well so we want to make sure that it's it's a partnership exercise because that's really key to success of any outsourcing relationship as well yeah i mean there's so much trust that goes into that side of things as well i mean you can you know contract to your life's content and and all of the sort of procurement things that go with it. I think it's a almost a religious belief change for the procurement departments in many of these organizations to allow that type of working practices and processes. But Joanne, what do you what do you think on that one? It, uh, it looked like you had something at the tip of your tongue. Yeah, I think, you know, we've been obviously the other side of that relationship and we see the the EBA guidelines and and the PRA uh, requirements come through in the discussions with ourselves as we go through due diligence, as we go through the, the contracting process. You know, believe me, whilst we're sort of outside of that regulatory perimeter, we go through our paces. I think you're right to call out the trust and relationship piece that does still have to sort of weave right the way through the relationship. And certainly when, you know, I was on the the other side of working with RBS Bo with, with Mark Bailey, we had a very good understanding as to, you know, the risks that he was taking on in using us as a material outsource provider and, and, and what he would need to see from us in return. I think one of the things that's interesting to reflect on is we as an outsource provider work with multiple different regulated entities in multiple jurisdictions, we end up 
upping the bar of our capability to that highest level. So, you know, now we're working with multiple PRA regulated entities and, you know, and across Europe and APRA and MASS and HGMA, you know, each time we are sort of setting the, the bar higher for ourselves, which is actually to the benefit of our entire customer base. Definitely. I think both the guests have said earlier on, I think that's a huge benefit, as it, isn't it? As these these things evolve, then everybody in that client base benefits from that. Leila, do you have a point on that? Yeah, I just wanted to add one more thing in terms of the risk as well, right? Like, especially for banks, you know, we want to make sure that our most important is to protect our client interests as well as the, our client data as well. So everything that the data point of view, the uh, in, information, we own it. So we need to make sure that we, you know, from an access point of view, it's need-only basis. And then there are, you know, adequate controls and governance as well in terms of how the, the sharing happens as well across. So that's quite key, not just to the to the vendors and outsourcing, but also internally as well. We need to make sure that at any given point of time, that risk is uh, mitigated and and, and has, uh, you know, uh, adequate um, controls in place on that. I agree. Uh, What what about, I mean, Joanne, what about on the other side of this? I mean, me me and you have talked last year a lot about Wirecard, you know, when things go wrong. Like what happens and how does that manifest itself? Because, I mean, in a traditional procurement relationship, the sort of uh, stick rolls down the hill, right, in terms of who gets uh, sort of upset with who down that process. But I guess in a partnership agreement where there is positive intent and everybody's set up to do the right thing, what happens when there's a problem in that value chain? Well, I mean, with the aspect of the Wirecard issue that we were involved in, where it was Wirecard Card Solutions and the FCA uh, suspension. Thank goodness they had, uh, you know, outsourced most of the actual processing capability to other organisations such as ourselves. I mean, we had eighty percent of the portfolio, and what we've been able to do, um, you know, the, the bit that's not made the news is actually since that suspension, between then and the end of the Wirecard Card Solutions license, at the end of November, we have safely, seamlessly transported each of those program managers onto another issuing vessel to continue on their journey and the cardholders haven't had any adverse experience. So actually, you know, from a a UK and European sort of bin sponsored business perspective, outsourcing was a good thing to have happened. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, as you say, the optionality once you've actually got architecture that is capable of switching things in and out you know actually if you've got the the smarts in your organization and the ability to have interoperability of you know a kyc provider or you know different players down the mix i mean that's very advantageous into the organization because if something comes along that is phenomenally better than than the one that you've got you've got the ability to switch those things out and what about i I guess uh you know we're seeing increased interest from people like the FCA with regards to material outsourcing. I think they've, you know, particularly talked about it in the context of cloud providers in this instance, which is, you know, if there are, uh, and the FSB has raised some concerns as well about if organizations are essentially putting all of their eggs in one basket when it either comes to uh, large swathes of their estate or potentially even large swathes of the industry as a whole, then are we creating sort of systemic risk or are we actually just moving in the direction of web scale today's technology? Because I think the sort of truth in that probably is that 
digital is no longer a channel. It is the fundamentals of every business. But what do you think, first, Andreas, do you, do you think we're, are we creating systemic risk by putting more and more of these things into other organizations? Or is just this the way of the industry and the, the direction of travel from a technology perspective? I mean, the, the whole world is interconnected and, you know, everybody is depending a bit on everybody. So the good thing is, as I said, there is a certain interoperability so you can relatively easy um, change providers. On the other hand, we are setting certain entry hurdles to be part of that ecosystem and certain areas don't allow for too many players. I mean, in cloud hosting, how many players can there be? that can create a reliable, efficient service across the world 24-7. So naturally, there will be limitations on the number of providers, at least for certain areas. I think, again, we come to risk assessment of the bank. So for not only for ourselves, but also for all our partners, we have to plan business continuity and business recovery. So if a Wirecard fails, who else can take over whatever Wirecard is doing for me? And that is not only a theoretically exercise, but many organizations, at least if they mature to a certain level, will have backup providers for their main task and make sure that once somebody fails, there is somebody else to fill that gap. Nevertheless, there will be systemic risks. I mean, if tomorrow Azure and AWS, um, you know, close down for whatever reason, yes, there will be systemic risks attached to that. Hey, if the entirety of the internet goes down, I think we've got way bigger problems than financial services at that stage. But uh, but there's uh, there's probably something quite dramatic going on. But uh, hey, who I didn't predict a global pandemic this time last year either, did I? So, uh, um, but what what do you think, Leather? Do you think this is a? Um, the, I think this is the direction of travel from an industry's perspective. But what what do you think? Yeah. So I think personally, if if we take a step back, right, in terms of especially from a banking point of view for the outsourcing, we need to have a clear view internally where we want to head to, you know, in terms of uh, our org design. You know, what's our ratio of internals versus externals? What's the, you know, uh, strategy around actually outsourcing internally? What kind of, you know, processes or products or services that we want to give it to vendors? You know, what locations do we are we interested in? You know, because, again, there's a cost play, always there's a cost play. And especially, you know, uh, we at Deutsche Bank, there is an increased focus in terms of generating cost efficiencies as well. So we were quite conscious of where we're making those investing decisions as well. So it's really clear that we have a, a, an org design of what's our risk resourcing strategy uh, and, and, and what are the practices within that resourcing that we want to engage these vendors. And, 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 and in terms of systematic risk, I think once we have a clarity on where we're heading, what the strategy around these uh, levers are, I think that's when you kind of um, plan in advance as much as possible. But in terms of the number of players that are coming in, I don't think everybody is, is kind of, you know, has the potential to work with you know, uh, larger players in the financial services because scaling is a big uh, aspect as well. Because you speak to a number of uh, companies that that are offering digital services. Firstly, you know, for a number of things that we are keen or interested in that I have engaged, uh, some of them actually didn't have specific examples of working with large, um, uh, you know, companies like ourselves. Because that's really important as well. I'm not saying it's a must, but it always helps to, you know, have a 
point that you know that you know that they've actually proven to work with big banks because not because we are really great or anything like that but because the kind of complexities that come with a big bank like this you know the kind of bureaucracy that goes behind it that you know the kind of um, you know uh, other challenges that you know people have experiences with i think that helps as well so not everyone is a candidate for us i think you know if, if i can say that you know so it depends on how we want to you know in terms of our ratification in terms of the uh, the, the technology the benefits that we're going to have and how it's going to help us is what makes it um, you know this thing but i think there's always a risk in every vendor engagement that we have and and like uh, andrea said it's also the, the the backup plan you know it's always the business continuity plans that we have with every engagement like what happens if this goes you know uh, down or you know so as much as possible i think we we tend to plan it but sometimes yeah things don't go according to plan and that's an <laughs> such as pandemic <laughs> no one predicted it but um yeah, I don't know if that answers the the question, uh, David. Uh, I think it's uh, you know always uh, plan for the worst, hope for the best on those things, isn't it? In terms of where it's going. But uh, what, what do you think, Joanne? Where do you think this is uh, this is sort of moving towards in terms of the 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 outsourcing side of things? So, so I think it's worth sort of turning the question on its head a bit because whilst we talk about you know is it possible for an organisation outsource organisation to be too big, I certainly think you know there's a scale issue on the other side. You know, you need outsource organizations to have sufficient scale to be able to afford to embed all the resiliency required to to be sufficiently trusted and proven to be then able to uh, service the larger opportunities such as the Deutsche Bank. So I think, you know, there's, there's question marks at both ends of the scale. It's interesting, isn't it? It becomes a, like you say, it becomes a bit of a chicken and egg, doesn't it? I mean, the interesting thing really as an industry, when you sort of stand back from it, you know, big organizations have been historically used to sort of painting their own picture. And really financial services is becoming a, uh, almost a fantastic tapestry of the best in class at all of these different slices of, of pieces, whether it's fraud engines or KYC or payment providers or or whatever. And actually, I think um, to something that Leila was saying, it's like actually focusing on the the end customer and the experience of that end customer it doesn't really matter what's in those layers in terms of the whether it's the banks or whether it's somebody else's. If there is the provision of service and there is a great customer experience, then that's the the advantage that the industry really has. And I, I think we're at a, we're at, I really personally think we're at a real tipping point when it comes to the creation of financial services because more than ever it feels like we're in a, a great spot to have really exceptional organizations all the way through those different slices that allow us to create financial services that we couldn't even have dreamt of you know 10 15 years ago so what, what, what do you think on that later yeah I just wanted to add you know to Joanna's point as well and and to your uh, point David um, I think ever since the, the the recession and and you know the evolution of the risk you know stronger risk management and the risk framework you know we've been you know we've made uh, like we've been continuously learning as well in terms of our vendor engagement as well there are some vendor engagements that we've done exceptionally well there are some engagements that we could have done a lot better and I think you know whether it's stronger negotiation whether it's uh, you know stronger management of risk and you know so all of those things I think is continuously evolving even if it's a big bank uh, you know because it's, it's too big sometimes so it's, it's important for us that to acknowledge that we are learning as as we're going along and i think we we're definitely in a, a much better position in terms of making those um you know uh, engagements as well in terms of the clarity of framework that we have in place i think to add to that i think there's some really different characteristics in terms of prioritization between the fintech challenges and the traditional banks in terms of, you know, what is, if you say, what is the one thing 
out of everything that they would insist on doing in-house rather than outsourcing, the FinTech challenges would be it's the UX, it's the customer experience is the one thing that we want to own and you know drive the hyper-personalization. Traditional banks, even when they're looking at a digital thing, the one thing that they have to stay inside is their risk management framework and that side of things. It's very different in terms of you know their number one focus from the in-house perspective. Yeah. And I think that's that's fascinating because as you say, the what is banking and how does banking manifest itself to I mean we Andreas on the BAS side, we're seeing, you know, the rise of sort of headless banks to allow embedded financial services in all different walks of life. So it, it is interesting what everybody sees as their secret source kind of across that stack is is sort of shifting and changing as different parts of that value chain become more sort of commoditized. But what, what do you think, Andreas? So as you said, I think it's a non-reversible trend that we see a further specialization along the whole value chain and customer lifecycle. So there are people who are good at acquiring customers, managing the interface with the customer. There are organizations who are good at providing certain processes. There are organizations who can provide funding or balance sheet capacity or risk management solution, fraud solutions, and everything. I have a hard time to see that anybody can provide all of that at the best quality and the best cost. So this fragmentation of the value chain will continue. Now, of course, the sweet spot always seems to be the customer interface. So everybody wants to be, you know, the, the nerve center, bundling everything together, bring it to the customer. But to be honest, not everybody is set up for that, right? So I think we will see players who make a good living as we do as a backend provider, right? So not as I have a lot of partners but at the end, it's their customers, right? I'm providing a service to somebody else's platform's customers, but it's not my customer ultimately. And that's fine. And we can make a living out of that. And so there will be you know, players who can make a living of providing that. And there will be some, but not all who are around today who can bring it jointly to the customer and make it a holistic offer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, I mean, uh, to, to wrap this up, because I, I think... I mean, we're we're talking about potentially like eighty thousand different layers in an architecture that we could we could sort of break down for an hour conversation on probably every one of those different layers in terms of the the advantages of this. But I mean, just to to, to sort of summarize and and sort of go on. I mean, this this is only going to get bigger. Like the the outsourcing opportunities, the abilities to pull these patchworks together to create things that we haven't seen before. I mean, this is a trend to your point, Andreas, this is a trend that is not only irreversible, but actually gaining just a huge amount of momentum. So where do you think this will get to? Do you think we're going to start to see, I mean, a bank's going to be a brand and a balance sheet? Like where where can this end? I think one of the trends that we're seeing that's uh, really interesting is how the banks as regulated entities themselves are sort of starting to look as to what they can do with their assets and actually be an outsource provider to the fintechs and get on the fintech bandwagon in that way. So rather than being the sort of recipient of outsource services, they become the provider of their their regulated status. Yeah, I think that's always a sign of a, uh, an industry on the offense is uh, the business models are evolving to sort of take into account the environment, aren't they? But later, where do you think this will this will stop? Is this a, a trend that will just continue to gain momentum and more material and, and bigger parts, do you think, of the industry that will move towards it? Uh, or are we reaching limits? 
No, I, I think uh, personally, I mean, you know, for I don't think we're reaching limits. I think uh, within, especially from a Deutsche Bank point of view, I think we 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 are you know internally reviewing it con- continuously. I don't think we've reached a limit of uh, foreign outsourcing. You know, uh, I, I think there is still. Uh, you know, areas where we can explore internally as well to gain more potential in terms of uh, uh, getting that benefit, whether it's a cost benefit, whether it's, um, you know, uh, expertise benefit as well, or whether it is, um, you know, product side and services side. So I think we're continuously looking for, um, you know, good partnerships as well and engagements. But having said that, I think as a traditional bank, I think it's really important that, uh, you know, as a bank, you know, the trust uh, and and the credibility and the relationship are the key factors as well for us. Um, So I I don't expect this to, you know, us playing with number of players, you know, it's it's, it's not that easy for us. You know, we're not going to be switching from one vendor to another vendor, especially when, when we've invested a lot of time, energy, effort in building that relationship and likewise for the other, you know, outsourcing uh, partner. So, so that is really key for us because, you know, some of the processes that we will dealing with, or most of them is very heavily risk oriented. So we want to make sure that we protect our, um, you know, customer data uh, and, and, uh, you know, our data itself. So I think it's really, really important that we make the the right decisions on this. So, but it is going to continuously evolve in terms of technology, especially we've seen the the acceleration of the virtual comms, uh, you know, where we we used to use Skype, but I think we have now, you know, it's Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts and various other, you know, uh, things as well that's come out. So I think this pandemic probably is helping us in kind of evolving further digitalization of technologies outside of cloud. I think cloud, we've been talking about it for the last couple of years, but I think um, I'm sure, I'm sure there will be more uh, focus uh, on the the technology side of it and, and i think that's where maybe deutsche would be interested to see you know uh, potential um, options there you know in terms of how we can digitalize even further than we, where we are i mean that's an interesting point because the i mean the rapid expansion of these things it used to be organization you know big banking organizations would put in place infrastructure uh, with the sole intention they encase it in concrete and it's there forever. But actually, increasingly, we're seeing things with a, a use-by date. You know, actually, the pace of the industry and the change on those things means what we put in place today, we're going to have to continually evolve and continually move forwards on. But, Andreas, final word to you, my friend. What what, what do you think? Where are we going with this? Is it is this just in a, the galaxy expanding and therefore we will continue to see uh, more and more interesting things happen in this space? We have to. I mean, if you look just purely at the structural cost problems in Europe, uh, in most uh, most banks in Europe uh, don't produce a decent uh, return on equity, and depending on the bank, they need you know to cut costs um, at the same revenue base uh, by ten, sometimes thirty or more percent. That cannot be done in, uh, internally. Um, I think that's purely impossible. I think the biggest challenge, as as you said, will be compliance. So not only finding the right partners, but controlling the value chain. So that will be the biggest hurdle. Of course, there's some protectionism because uh, some people inside will have to make their jobs obsolete, uh, which is always a hard thing to do. But yes, um, and this trend will continue with all the problems in terms of systemic risk and dependencies we will create. Just to give you a minor example, our auditor, year-end auditor is waiting for somebody else's you know, year-end audit who are waiting on somebody else's year-end audit because they all need somebody else to finish their audit before they finish their audit. Um, so, I mean, it's an impossible loop, but that's the world where we live in and, and we'll have to find solutions for that because, as you said, the trend uh, is irreversible. Completely agree. I mean, I'm always a big believer that um, banks don't get the future that they want. They get the future that they can actually procure. 
Uh, and I think to, to all of the points that we've made all the way through this process, then actually the procurement process opening up and being much more expansive in terms of the solutions that they can actually talk to and, and bring in to solve the pro- really big infrastructural and capability problems, then actually that spells to a, a pretty exciting future. We're going to have to wrap up, though, because I, I know we could all talk about it this forever. So uh, sadly, that does wrap up today's show uh, and the discussion. Thank you so much to you guys for, for joining us. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company? Starting with you later, where can people learn a little bit more? I think uh, LinkedIn and also, uh, you know, I think our Deutsche Bank website, it's it's a great organization to work for. So, yeah, please uh, check it out. Um, Very good. Uh, Andreas, where can people f- learn a little bit more about you and all the good work you're doing at Raisin? Raisin.com or Raisin.bank, um, depending on who you're looking for, whether you want to invest some money or looking for a BAAS provider, um, have a look, uh, get in contact. Happy to talk. Very good. And Joanne, where can people learn a little bit more about you and GPS? So thanks. Globalprocessing.com is our, our website for, for GPS or Global Processing Services. And I'm on uh, LinkedIn as well. So uh, yeah, always find me there. Very good. As for me, you can find me over on at David Breer on Twitter or just search for me over on LinkedIn as well. Thank you very much for listening today for this show. If you did like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It super duper helps other people to find the show. If you want to get involved in the conversation or if you want to give us any feedback, feel free to drop us an email uh, at podcast at 11fs.com uh, or you can also find us on pretty much every social media at this stage. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere. Either search for 11FS or FinTech Insider. All right, guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.